My name is Joseph Kozak, and I recently completed my PhD in electrical engineering from the Center for Power Electronic Systems at Virginia Tech, and I'm a member and the webinar coordinator for the IEEE PELS Young Professional Committee. With me is my colleague and the chair of the Young Professionals Committee, Dr. Harish Krishnamurthy. Hello, everyone. This is Harish Krishnamurthy, and I am the chair of the IEEE Power Electronic Society's Young Professional Group. And uh, this year, I'm also the, the organizing chair for IEEE PELS Day 2021. So having been a student, I had thought on uh, career paths towards progr progressing in academia, industry, or national laboratories. So I imagine I'm not the only one who had struggled with these thoughts and considerations. So to help others try to decide, we've put together a panel of three speakers from all over the world in all of these different career trajectories uh, to, to kind of discuss what are, what are the differences and trade-offs between each of them. Our first panelist is Dr. Samantha Gunter. Samantha earned a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, as well as a master's degree and a PhD degree in electrical engineering from MIT in the United States. Since 2016, she has been working on power electronics with General Motors, with a focus on onboard chargers and high voltage to low voltage DC to DC converters. Her responsibilities have included leading advanced technical work providing technical and benchmarking support for power converters and co-teaching internal power electronic courses at GM. As a technical specialist, she is also responsible for defining requirements for future high voltage modules. Thanks, Joe. Um, I'm really happy to be a part of this panel to represent the industry side of the career spectrum. Uh, as mentioned in my bio, I've worked almost five years at General Motors here in Detroit, Michigan. I've had various summer internships in the past, but this is my first full-time position directly after graduating, and it has been a very fulfilling experience so far. I'm not a gearhead like most people who work in the auto industry, but I am an advocate for sustainable technology. General Motors and their vision for an all-electric future was a perfect fit for me. Uh, high voltage power electronics is a relatively new space for passenger vehicles, so there are a lot of things to keep us on our toes, and we are continually trying to find ways to innovate. So it's never a dull moment in this quiet revolution. Thank you, Samantha. Our second panelist is Dr. Yongheng Yang. Dr. Yang received the Bachelor of Engineering degree in Electrical Engineering and Automation from Northwestern Polytechnical University in China in 2009, and his PhD degree in Energy Technology from Alberg University, Denmark in 2014. Since 2014, he has been with the Department of Energy Technology, Alberg University, where he became a tenured associate professor in 2018. In January 2021, he joined Zhejiang University in China as a professor at the Institute of Power Electronics. He most recently is the recipient of the 2021 IEEE PELS Richard M. Bass Outstanding Young Professional uh, Engineer uh, Award for his contribution to the design and control of grid-friendly solar photovoltaic systems. That is an excellent uh, award and it is a it's a uh, it's a very big compliment for you, uh, Dr. Yang, and congratulations. Thank you, thank you, uh, Harris, for the for the introduction. Uh, hello, everyone, and uh, as Harris introduced, uh, uh, I was uh, working in Denmark for quite a few years. Then uh, I decided uh, to come back to China, and my primary uh, 
primary focus is on power electronics, as uh, as power electronics is important uh, in, in transitioning the, the to a green society. So we are trying to do uh, the control and uh, and uh, design of power converters and power electronics for uh, a greener uh, future. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Young Hong, and uh, glad to uh, hear about your award. That's fantastic. Um, and while you may have left uh, Alberg in Europe, our, our final speaker is is uh, located in Europe, Dr. Lalit Padnaik. Uh, Lalit received his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from the National Institute of Technology in India in 2006, and master's degree in electronics design from the Indian Institute of Science in India in 2009 and PhD degree in electronic systems engineering from the Indian Institute of Science uh, in 2015. During 2016 to 2018, he was a postdoctoral fellow with the University of Ontario Institute of Technology in Canada, and he is currently working as a senior fellow at the European Organization for Nuclear Research, or CERN, in Geneva, Switzerland. His research interests include power electronics and its applications in areas spanning electric drives, energy storage, electric vehicles, mechatronics, and high-energy physics. So I, I, I'm right there with you. High-energy physics is a really cool avenue in uh, uh, power electronics uh, challenges. So thank you very much for joining, Lili. Uh, thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for this kind introduction and also for having me on this show. I mean, this is probably the first time I'm recording myself on a panel. Uh, and so it's nice to be here. And hi to all the other panelists and to Harish as well, to Megan. Um, so to just elaborate on the same introduction, I mean, you prob probably mentioned all the points, but I would just uh, add a couple of more points there. And that is uh, um, the, the fact that uh, power electronics is such a, a versatile field and it has applications in so many different domains. And if one goes out just uh, uh, exploring these applications in these different domains, you can spend a lifetime there. So it's really enjoyable uh, to be able to do that. Um, so I have tried to explore a few of those uh, applications, typically uh, starting from my, I would say, master's days, 2007-2009, uh, got into motor drives for induction motor, and later during my PhD for brushless DC motors for some uh, rover kind of application. And then, as you mentioned, uh, for my postdoc in Canada, uh, into more electrified transportation uh, kind of stuff. The, my present position at CERN is uh, more at lower power, 100 watt kind of level for uh, radiation tolerant applications. Thank you, Lalit. And as everyone can hear, we, we certainly have a diverse group of representatives from academia, industry, and national labs, uh, all facing different challenges in their daily life, but all trying to progress technology um, in the power electronics. So I think it's a good time to get into our program. And considering most of our listeners are probably uh, more in the academic side, thinking about which career path we should go uh, into, um, let's start with you, Yong Hong. Uh, so what was your motivation to continue right through school and go into academia? Uh, thank you, Joe. Actually, that's, uh, that's a very nice uh, question. Uh, after my graduation, after I finished my uh, PhD study at Auburn University, first actually I, I made a try 
to find a job in industry because uh, as an engineer, uh, I always thought that it would be good to to implement what you have learned and what you want to propose in in real daily life. But it was not a successful case for me. So then um, there was a, there was a, a, an opportunity in in, uh, in Denmark, and uh, my former uh, professor uh, he found a, a postdoc a, a position for me. And uh, that was uh, really exciting uh, to me because it is uh, a collaboration with industry, and I thought that that could be a chance for me to realize my uh, my 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 dream in in, uh, in in driving the future with power electronics. And uh, that company is uh, is Stanfors. Even it's working on the motor drive side, but it's a power electronics companies. So that was uh, my story behind. Then uh, starting from the, the postdoc position, then I thought after the postdoc, and then I should further explore uh, the world of, uh, of power electronics and trying to trying to implement uh, this uh, this uh, this this technology in in our uh, future uh, society. Yeah. To, to conclude, that's uh, that's my story, and uh, it was uh, really uh, exciting. And uh, started from a, a postdoc position. Thank you, uh, Yongheng. And um, uh, so, when I moved from uh, India to the US, I realized that uh, academic positions can be uh, very diverse, and the requirements, being a faculty, can be very different. Uh, you just recently moved from uh, Denmark to uh, to China. And uh, can you talk about uh, the main differences that you see in academic positions uh, in, in Europe and China for our viewers? Yes, uh, yes, the, the, the big difference I would say is, um, uh, how to say, the, the connection to industry. You know, uh, in Europe, uh, it's more, uh, more free than at the university, than uh, it, university they can connect to the, to the industry very easily. But in China, you know, sometimes uh, it's uh, it's really challenging, and uh, the government is uh, there. There are some some companies or some industry that's uh, government uh, old companies. Then uh, this is uh, sometimes difficult, and uh, you don't have so much freedom to to explore uh, research or, or those uh, those technologies you want to to implement. And uh, this is, uh, I think, the the major difference. Uh, but one of the good things in China is that uh, the, the market is quite uh, quite big, and there are a lot of uh, chances to find uh, funding uh, support compared to uh, Europe. And at least in Denmark, uh, it's uh, quite uh, competitive, and also uh, sometimes we have to uh, fight with uh, other uh, big universities. As, uh, very uh, famous universities like uh, Cambridge and uh, Oxford uh, to 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 compete with them to to find a secure funding for for research. So this is uh, another uh, difference I would say, and uh, yeah, another difference is that uh, in 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 China or in uh, most uh, Asia countries I would say then the universities uh, the professors that uh, they really have a, a kind of um, uh, a hierarchical structure and uh, the the students really so uh, very much uh, respective uh, how to say uh, they, this kind of uh, they, they, they respect to the uh, professors uh, very very much and uh, they, they would uh, 
see this, uh, you would see this uh, in, in Chinese universities and also in other uh, universities, which means then that when you wanted to apply some, some big grants, then uh, you may need to find someone who can uh, back up you and who can support you. But in Europe, uh, at least in Denmark, uh, where I was there for 10 years, and uh, it's quite different. And uh, we almost at the same level for students, for professors. So you can really, then uh, in, in Denmark, the professors are, are, are your, your uh, friends, or, or you can see that. And uh, for example, like uh, what we call our professors in Denmark, just the first names instead of the professor blah blah or, or doctor blah blah so this is another uh, difference i would say yeah harris that is uh, a very very nice explanation for the comparison and i'm sure uh, people will will take uh, good you know learnings from what you just mentioned so samantha uh, you do have your graduate degree but chose to pursue an industrial career over academia so can you talk about what influenced you to go down this path? Yeah, certainly. Um, perhaps this is too cliche or an overused adage, but my personal statement when I applied to graduate schools was very much focused around making the world a better place than I found it. And I, I wanted to pursue this endeavor with a focus on sustainability. And my lengthy education was definitely an essential factor in, in preparing me to accomplish this. And I, I guess how Yonghang had uh, alluded to, um, my attraction to a career in industry was the potential for customers to have products in their hands, making a difference in their lives. So when I joined General Motors, they already had the Volt plug-in hybrid and they were just about to release the Bolt EV. In that sense, I greatly appreciated the fact that concepts progressed into reality and I wanted to be involved in that process. So I feel very fulfilled knowing that the things I work on will move beyond the laboratory and will make a tangible impact on the everyday lives of people. General Motors has set out to put everyone behind the wheel of an electric vehicle and I'm proud to be a part of that vision. So that's really what inspired me to, you know, go into industry is to, you know, bridge the gap between innovation and what customers or what people today can uh, to can use. Interesting there, Samantha. So with that, you ended up choosing one of the hottest fields in terms of electric vehicles. Um, did you consider other aspects that are uh, either less um, kind of application focused or were you open to different opportunities? And this is just one that kind of landed into uh, progressing your personal mission and statement or or was this something that you said you're not a gearhead but was this something that you still were very motivated towards in general mm -hmm. yeah you know it's kind of funny maybe like most uh, students you know right before graduation I didn't really know what I wanted to do or where I wanted to work um, and I happened to be walking around in a career fair and there was a booth for General Motors and I was like oh they make products that, you know, I could work on. So I didn't think about General Motors before that moment, um, but it, it really did kind of just like fall into my hands. Um, and, you know, after contemplating it, you know, it really was a good match. Um, so, yeah, I guess there wasn't too much planning ahead of time or, or thought, but it, you know, once the right fit shows up, I think you'll know, right? Um, and so... 
keep your eyes open, I guess. If, if you don't know, just be on the lookout and, and hopefully something works out. Samantha, just a, a follow-up question, uh, because you were talking about this uh, transition that you want to be part of, and you are being part of mm -hmm. that gene. Uh, so my curiosity is about what's the kind of time frame in the minds of uh, GM and in general the industry uh, for the shift over in a complete way to EVs. Like I know that there are products coming out right now, but uh, like a full shift over, is that something that GM and other companies are looking at? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And as you alluded or mentioned, uh, we do have several products in the pipeline. You know, starting with the GMC Hummer coming out this fall, um, and I think there is a plan to switch over 100% to electric vehicles. I haven't been able to keep track of all the different announcements, so I, I'd have to defer to the official GM uh, website, and I'm sure they mention it there. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't want to misspeak, I guess, or misrepresent uh, yeah, okay. GM's okay. official yeah. announcement. Yep. Certainly. Uh, it's, a, it's a very dynamic time for uh, a lot of electric vehicle companies, and GM is certainly spearheading parts of the way. Uh, so it, it, I imagine it's very exciting also working in, in, in the state-of-the-art technology and, and developing these products. Uh, now, a personal interest of mine, though, has always been in the high-energy physics field and, and kind of these national laboratory settings. Uh, so, Lalit, I was wondering what, what helped influence you to go down this pathway and end up at CERN? Yeah, so I, I would say, uh, though you, let's say, uh, keep me in this in-between category between industry and uh, academia of uh, national labs, I would first point out that for about 10 years or so, I was more in the academic side, and it's only in the last three years that I've been here at CERN. So I still have, let's say, a little bit of a bias, uh, biased perspective from the academic side, but yeah. I'll, I'll try to put across a few points uh, from the uh, National Labs uh, point of view. Uh, CERN, uh, as you might know, is actually an international lab, So, but it falls in the same category in the sense it's government-funded or public uh, money that is being used to carry out uh, research. In this case, the research uh, is focused on high-energy physics, but in the process of uh, making high energy physics discoveries, you have uh, the requirement for high end technology where power electronics is one of the components. So uh, I would say what really attracted me to this particular position was the challenge aspect. I mean, for me, if the project uh, scares me, I get attracted to it. So here it was about building a radiation tolerant uh, power supply. So. Uh, over the years, I was, let's say, building power supply prototypes for uh, lab use or um, for research purposes, where all of the constraints were more or less uh, electrical or thermal, magnetic, these kinds of things. And so adding on top of all these uh, electrical, uh, typical power electronics constraints, uh, yeah, add on the radiation tolerance aspect, and it became uh, really challenging. And that's what really attracted me to this product, uh, project. Uh, the second part would be about uh, contributing to something big. I mean, this is uh, the other aspect where, because we the uh, power supply that I am designing would be a very, very, very small part of what is called the high luminosity LHC. It is an upcoming upgrade of the Large Hadron Collider. And uh, once these power supplies are installed, about 400 of them throughout the underground tunnel, 100 meters underground, 
they would uh, be operational for something like 15 20 years so uh, the reliability aspect also is quite important so this is about the contribution making a small contribution to something big and the, the third aspect that attracted me to CERN, and which is also true for many public institutions, uh, research institutions, is the open source philosophy. So uh, right in the DNA of uh, CERN, there has been this uh, aspect of keeping knowledge open. Any knowledge that is generated using public funds has to be kept out in the open and accessible to the public. And this is also why when they came up with the World Wide Web or applications like KiCad for PCB design, anything uh, like this, the tools that they came up with, engineering tools that could be useful for other engineers, they made it available for free for the rest of the world. So th these are also uh, things that really attract me. Interesting. So it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is still research and, and development of, of at least prototype systems, uh, understanding some of the radiation tolerances and, and uh, for some of these future uh, systems at CERN. So it, you had mentioned that you were in academia for many years. Um, how is this environment different from academia where a lot of power electronics uh, academics are looking at researching uh, and developing these uh, new types of and uh, her prototypes and kind of understanding these new challenges that we face? That's an excellent question. I mean, there are some similarities, actually. I would first mention that and then go to what is different. The similarity, I would say, is the fact that, again, because of being publicly funded and because of comprising uh, typically diverse teams, the the intellectual uh, environment is a bit like academia. There is a lot of different people from different countries speaking different languages, and then we all sit together to solve problems or discuss technical matters. And in that sense, there is a distinct academic feel uh, to working uh, in such an organization. But uh, what is quite different is uh, because we, uh, as an engineers at CERN, do not uh, comprise the real focus re, uh, group for research, as in the research happens for high energy physics. I mean, anything else is a byproduct. So even though we developed high end engineering systems, it's for the purpose of doing high energy research, uh, uh, physics uh, research in high energy physics. So I would say the engineering side of CERN would still work like uh, an industry because there is a product. So we, we are like a factory that produces protons, high energy protons, which will be used by a user, which is high energy physicists. So in that mindset, you have uh, certain deadlines and you have to provide certain energy levels of beams with certain characteristics and all these things. So at, at some level, when you go a few uh, levels higher on the hierarchy, it, it's a bit like industry in that uh, fashion, maybe not so much in the day-to-day -day work for us, but uh, in terms of meeting these targets of product, providing certain products to certain uh, users. And also about providing electronics as a solution to certain user groups, which then take it as a product and use it and you provide support for if there are any issues, things like that. So that's where it is different from academia a bit. That is uh, excellent. Uh, thanks, Lilith. So now I have a question for, uh, for everyone. So the question is, can you mention one thing you like 
And one thing you don't like as much about your current domain, that is academia, industry, or national labs. So maybe we can start with uh, Yongheng. Yeah, uh, I would say the first thing is uh, what I like uh, is in 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 being uh, in in in, the, in uh, academia is that uh, you could uh, explore really your ideas uh, uh, when you get funding. But of course. Uh, uh, get funding is uh, is really difficult so uh, you know in an industry probably when you wanted to uh, implement your ideas from a theory to practice it may take a, a very long period because you you need to get it uh, approved probably you are not the, the person who can make the decision and you have to get a lot of approvals so this is um, uh, something that uh, I don't like uh, in industry, even I haven't been in, in uh, industry, but I guess this is uh, something in big, especially in big companies, because when I was uh, in Denmark, we tried to apply some uh, uh, grants, then uh, we involved uh, big companies, then their uh, process is quite lengthy and uh, difficult. And in, in academia is that, um, uh, if you can get funding, then the, you are free to explore the your ideas. You are free to uh, to to implement even in the laboratories. That's uh, something exciting. That when you you really make your dream true, uh, uh, this is really uh, exciting. And uh, this is something I like. And uh, the other thing is uh, in academia, uh, what I like it is you can uh, uh, get the uh, Get the approach to, to the to students, and uh, students really represent a, a young generation, and they have uh, different ideas. Uh, then uh, you can you can discuss with them. Then I think this is another thing I like. So Samantha, what about you? Yeah, I alluded to this before, but my favorite aspect of working in industry is talking about our products. Um, I own a Volt plug-in hybrid, and my husband and I don't skip a beat if we can brag about it to others. Uh, <laughs> and but yeah, but a challenge with uh, our power electronic components is that we are very cost sensitive, and we need to make sure that they can work reliably. Re sorry, we need to make sure they can work reliably for the next fifteen years in very harsh environments. So from an innovation standpoint, we often have to take a more conservative route than what others may be doing in research or academia. Yeah, that, that's right. And uh, Lilith? Yeah, uh, so I, I would say that what I like about uh, working in an international organization is uh, about how collaborative and uh, diverse uh, the whole workplace is and uh, diversity is important when it comes to bringing new ideas people from different backgrounds nationalities languages and all of these uh, let's say highly uh, motivated people uh, highly talented experts sitting together in a room to discuss while at the same time they are also humble and this is what i really really uh, like and uh, what I would say is, uh, instead of saying I don't like, I would say this is where uh, there is some improvement required and it holds for many uh, organizations, is that while the organizations uh, focus on implementing solutions for, let's say, sustainability uh, outside of their organization, so 
if we want to say that uh, somebody in the transportation sector should shift over to electric vehicles or use renewable energy and all of that. So putting sustainable solutions outside of the organization is something where there is push. But how are we doing inside the organization? I mean, CERN as an organization consists of three, 4,000 people on site. So there is a lot of energy being used within the organization as well. So, uh, of course, at CERN, we're not looking at renewable energy or uh, electric vehicles, all that stuff. But I, I would say this is something big organizations uh, especially should start uh, playing a leadership role in, in terms of being very, um, let's say, optimal in their resource use, especially on the energy side. Yeah, that is uh, that is absolutely correct. And, and thanks for your points. I do have uh, one more question. Uh, so if not an engineer, what other profession would you have chosen? So this is a more general question. Maybe we can begin with uh, Lalit here. So you have a googly here for me. <laughs> okay, I was not prepared for this, but let me think about this. I, I would say uh, something that's really close uh, to my heart is um, in general science and bringing science to the people so that uh, let's say we can have more rationality in the world. So I, I would say maybe science communication or uh, writing, science writing, something like that would be the other thing if I were not to be an engineer, but yes, engineering is number one for me. <laughs> That's excellent. So, uh, Samantha? Yeah, you know, I've been in engineering for so long, I haven't thought of what would I have done otherwise, but so I guess I'll go back to when I was applying for colleges. Um, I originally wanted to be an actuarial science major uh, because I really liked math. Uh, but when I got into the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, my mom said, they have a great engineering school. You should try that first. If you don't like it, then you can switch to whatever else you wanted to do, um, which I think worked out really well for me. So, yeah, if it wasn't engineering, it would probably be something, you know, math based, um, a career, you know, crunching numbers, maybe. But I'm, I'm glad I, I stuck with engineering instead. That's that's pretty nice. Uh, Young Hang. Um, and I was sort of about this uh, as well. So. Uh, if uh, I was not uh, not uh, an engineer, uh, I just started a little bit, so probably I would have been uh, uh, someone who 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 would uh, like uh, like uh, how to say because because actually in in my during my high uh, high school uh, days uh, I was uh, really uh, fond of uh, music. So if uh, if I were not uh, not a, a, an engineer, probably I would have become a musician or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's excellent. I guess when, when when I think about it, I guess I might have become a priest, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we have we have some very uh, eclectic interests through this group is very exciting and people are working on on all over the uh the spectrum of power electronics topics now it was based off of uh, uh for those um not familiar we to me this is almost a, a four-person panel so young hung had mentioned uh that he wanted to go into industry and then stayed in academia uh lalit you you mentioned that that you started in academia and transitioned to uh i, I should 
more appropriately call it an international laboratory. Now, Harish, so you started an industry. However, you switched into academia. What was your interest into starting in one and then progressing into the other? Well, uh, you know, it's, again, this is a googly on me, I guess. So uh, this is, again, uh, a very, very good question. And it's a, there's a lot of thought put into this. So uh, most of the, the factors that... Uh, like you know, enable my decision was uh, has been already discussed. So the first thing is, um, as a power electronics engineer, we are always on on the cusp of uh, cutting edge solution, which have to be practically useful. So if if I were a, a mathematician, maybe I would have come up with uh, some new theory, which I was I'm not sure whether it had a practical application. But what I realize is, um, in order to to be successful, even in academia, in uh, the area of power electronics. Uh, we need to to make sure we understand what the industry wants because any other solution it's uh, it's it's not probably going to be appreciated so uh, so my first thought process was to to explore uh, different industries and and make sure um, uh, i understand what is needed and now even when i am in academia um, again the the main advantage i see with academia is that um, uh, you know you can you're more free to to choose what research you want and uh, and and take your research in that direction but uh, what industry really helped me with is to to get an idea of what is relevant and what is not so it is easy to try and come up with some new circuit every single day but is it really worth that uh, effort uh, that is the the main uh, aspect so so thank you for this question so uh, I, I do have uh, one uh, final question uh, from my end uh, to all the panelists. Uh, so, you know, as we talk about the different type of, um, uh, you know, positions and roles, what do you think about uh, is the work-life balance uh, in, in your respective uh, domain? So maybe we can start with uh, Samantha on this one. Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that attracted me to GM, especially when I first started, was I had my nights and weekends. Uh, it was pretty easy to stick to a 40-hour work week. Uh, so the, the work-life balance was really great um, versus, you know, maybe going to a startup um, where, you know, the expectation is to work a little bit longer. Um, you know, having gone through grad school, I, I really greatly appreciated the change. Um, I think I probably would have burnt out if I had continued on into a startup and, you know, continued 60, 80 hour weeks. Um, so I, I really like that General Motors um, really made an effort to make sure that you had good work life balance. OK, that's that's nice. Um, and probably Lilith can go next. Yes, uh, first of all, I would say this is an excellent uh, kind of uh, input from Samantha because this is already giving uh, an indirect message to academia that we need to do better in terms of work-life balance. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I should say that everybody here who is on the academic side should take a cue from that to maybe have their grad students not work as hard as they did as in uh, you as a, a PI had to. Uh, so anyway, uh, so as, as regard to my current uh, way of working, I would as well say that it's uh, pretty nice uh, in my present job in terms of uh, work-life balance. And again, I share the same thought as Samantha that uh, 
when i was in the university i used to work a lot harder and yeah in the long run this is not something sustainable but uh, yeah there is also an aspect of uh, let's say good uh, time management because uh, sometimes we could spend a lot more time perfecting something when you don't need to and this is something that comes directly on the individual i mean not so much at the system level of knowing that good is good enough and not always trying for perfection in every single detail i mean i, I tend to be like that sometimes so i can't put all of the blame on <laughs> the my supervisors for uh, the hard work that i had to do but i mean in terms of work life balance it's uh, both ways both the employer how much pressure they put as well as uh, individual taking it light on themselves so lalit uh, i only make my students work for 18 hours a day that's all <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so sorry <laughs> just kidding so young hang what are your thoughts yeah i, I think uh, working in a uh, university is quite different from uh, working in industry and also national laboratories uh, in terms of uh, balance of life and work uh especially in, in china actually it's more uh, flexible when you are working in uh, in uh, universities so you have more free time to stay with your with your families and uh, which means you you are able to sort of control uh, the balance of life and work but of course you know in asia countries and in china as well uh it's quite uh, competitive so especially if uh, you are working in industry sometimes uh, you have to work very really hard in order to uh, secure that job through through the years so this is a uh, in that respect it's really difficult to keep the balance of uh, life and work but of course for me because i'm working now in uh, universities and uh, i have my my nine months old son so i have to spend uh, more time with my family so i would uh, sort of uh, align to uh, align my time more to the to the families but of course in in, in conclusion and uh, in universities i would say it's uh, it's more flexible to to balanced in terms and life yeah I think that's certainly uh, well said and and a lot of these points are, are very well I think understood by everyone um, with uh, the flexibility of, of academia versus a little bit more work-life balance in in a, an industrial setting um, uh, also, uh, congratulations, Young Hung. We did not know about your son. That's fantastic news to hear. Um, one of the things, uh, kind of taking everyone's uh, input and and hearing their their trade offs, uh, I'd like to know what advice would you like to give someone, or think about what you would have liked to have known uh, when you were in school and considering your future career in power electronics. Um, so, Lalit, let's start with you. Okay, uh, I have uh, three points. Um, I, I had many more and then I thought, okay, let me take out the three most important ones for this one. So uh, number one, I would say, I mean, strictly as uh, an engineer in the power electronics domain, so you can take it with a pinch of salt if um, it's in related areas. Uh, so uh, number one would be, uh, especially for younger engineers, uh, even at the bachelor level, to develop analog skills i mean power electronics at its core is a deeply analog uh, field and you can build uh, layers of uh, or wrappers of digital and software around the core 
but at its core it's uh, very analog so i would say developing analog skills is very important um, number two i would say uh, that build 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 i mean we develop intuition as engineers in powertronics only by building prototypes that do not work and then debugging and fixing them so spending a lot of time in the lab hands on on the benches and building stuff uh, is the second one i would say uh, there is a corollary to this one i mean and that is about simulation and it's very attractive because it's fast it's on your laptop on your computer so many young engineers tend to get attracted to simulation and simulation has its uh, good points but i i would say if uh, it doesn't have the guiding envelope of the experience coming from actually building hardware simulation can fool us and and th this is why i stress on building prototypes and the third point that i would uh, say is to build a personal library of topology so whether it is dcdc acdc dcac acac different applications requiring different topology and the topologies and then putting these topologies together to build a full power architecture everywhere it's the the module uh, the modular level comprises of some ba basic topologies and in a way it's like the periodic table for chemists i mean if you develop your topology of maybe 15 key topologies understanding them very well that's good enough to tackle most uh, power applications and even though the literature might say that there are hundreds of topologies at its core there are let's say 15 or 20 and then everything else is a variation on that so i would say the third one is building this personal library or vocabulary of power topologies yeah i think that that's certainly uh very well said and and developing our fundamental skills is uh something that can always be uh i think reiterated uh with that i'd like to see Young Hong, what, how about yourself when you were uh, a student and considering future paths? Yeah, uh, I'm very much uh, uh, agreeing with uh, with uh, Lalit what what Lalit has said, and uh, uh, but of course I, I have three points that I would, uh, would I would share with uh, younger uh, generations, my students, and of course the other guys uh, who are just uh, coming to the power electronic society. And first uh, is that uh, I. I would encourage uh, those guys to, to think out of the box, box and uh, uh, never uh, do not avoid uh, to 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 come come up with crazy ideas because uh, uh, new technologies, new theories uh, uh, are actually uh, coming from uh, crazy ideas. So so uh, try to think uh, crazily, and uh, you will get something uh, that's exciting. And the other thing is also. As Lalit has said, and then the uh, uh, students, uh, power electronics engineers, as as power electronics engineers, we should do uh, practical things. So try to uh, work more on the hardware things. And this is one thing and uh, I would encourage my students uh, to do more in the future, uh, because uh, as engineers, we always need to implement what we have learned and what we uh, want to implement uh, in in the in the real uh, uh, life. So this is another thing. But of course, uh, then the fundamental things, and then the students have to learn and they have to master the fundamental theories uh, when they wanted to implement those uh, new ideas. Then the the last point I would say is that uh, uh, for uh, young uh, uh, power electronics engineers and um, uh, 
they should not focus too much on 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 uh, publications. But of course, uh, you know some 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 uh, universities and some especially uh, universities in in China and also in uh, in Singapore and uh, in Korea. I guess uh, those most a lot of universities are quite uh, addicted to uh, publications. Uh, of course, publications are sort of ways to show or to summarize uh, uh, the, the work of the students, the research work of the students and also professors, but uh, too much is not so good. And uh, I think we really need to focus on practical things, how to implement, how to make the life uh, better. Yeah, I think uh, those are three points I would say, uh, Joe. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think it's uh, one of the key benefits of, of at least being power electronics engineers over maybe being a, a musician is we're building things that can really impact uh, society as a whole. Um, and Samantha, I think you're you're probably the one doing it most directly right now. Uh, what, what advice would you give uh, to uh, students coming up in, in their careers? Yeah, I, I really like all those points um, that were previously made. You know, I, I will echo, I really do appreciate, you know, doing hands-on work, um, not just sticking to simulations or theories, but, you know, actually implementing it. I think that's a big hurdle, but it's a very worthwhile one. And, and you do learn a lot, um, you know, so I, I do support that, yeah, hardware aspect of things. Um, cause yeah, I have to deal with that as well. If, if you really want something that someone can use, um, I guess, you know, to add to those points, you know, I think this is a great space to be in because it touches upon so many different aspects of, of our society. Uh, so if you don't like your particular project or area, there's plenty of opportunities to pivot to a, a related or tangential field and still stay within power electronics, right? So don't get discouraged if you have a bad experience in one particular design or aspect. You know, you could work on something very similar and, and maybe have a much better experience. Um, also, you know, I would advise take any opportunity you can to mentor or teach others in this field. I think, so, I think this will help you build up your technical prowess as well as improve upon a lot of soft skills like communication and confidence. So even though I work in industry and, and I'm not in a traditional teaching role, I find myself often having to teach others uh, in the company about power electronics. So I think building up that ability to teach will help prepare you for any career you pursue. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, certainly one of the ways as a graduate student and being mentored and mentoring other students is uh, I've certainly had to learn. So I think that that's uh, a very good point. Um, now, with that and kind of being respectful of everyone's time, I, I'd like to ask, are there any final comments from the panelists? Uh, Young Hong, anything else? No, thank you, Joan. Uh, but maybe I can uh, ask a question uh, to, to Lalit, because um, uh, you have been working in, in, uh, in uh, uh, national laboratories. Uh, how do you think uh, the collaborations between uh, national laboratories and the universities uh, in Europe and uh, in U.S., I think it's also very different? Right. Yeah, thank you, Yongyang, for this uh, question. Uh, I, I would say that, uh, at least in my present job, there, there is a lot of uh, collaboration, but more so on the industry side, because we collaborate for, let's say, we come up with an initial design for a magnetic component or 
whether it is for some fabrication of some custom components that is when we go to uh, some company outside uh, to do it for us and then we go back and forth with them for specifying this properly and things like that so i would say this way inter interaction with industry is quite a lot but there is also interaction with the university in the sense, maybe not in my project, but in a lot of uh, other projects where it is about bringing in uh, students uh, who are either doing their masters or PhD and uh, they would work at CERN uh, while still being registered at their respective universities in their respective countries. And they would do their project or something like that with a local mentor at CERN as well as having a remote uh, guide in the university so this is also quite common oh, great thank you Lale. yeah uh, maybe another one is to uh, Smensa. Uh, uh, probably you 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 are not uh, recruiting uh, uh, young uh, uh, graduates but uh, do you have any uh, comments then uh, what industry will look when uh, when uh, the students go to uh, job fairs mm. Yeah, I mean, actually, I think GM is on, uh, hiring a lot because we're expanding our electrification team. Uh, so there are opportunities at GM. You know, as a graduate student, I remember being a little bit discouraged going to career fairs. And, you know, most of the companies were looking for computer science, data analytics. And, you know, I wanted to work on hardware. Um, so it'd be nice if industry, you know, recognize that. Um, I think there will be a need, you know, it. We can't just focus on, uh, you know, the virtual world. We have to also think about our, our physical world. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, from a, you know, I can only speak for General Motors, and I, I know we have a lot of uh, job openings posted out there. Um, and I, I hope other companies kind of recognize this, that there is a need for, for physical items as well, not just the next best phone app, but also, you know, things like phones and, and chargers and, and everything that are associated with with that. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, so I can imagine. I have a, yeah, go ahead, Lily. Yeah, I had a question for you, Yongeng. So uh, yeah. this is about uh, in the Chinese academia. I wanted to know how, how is it about uh, when grad students uh, finish their PhD? Uh, like are most of them looking to go to the industry, academia, outside China to get exposure uh, outside of China? How is it? Is there a preference or do you find all kinds uh, in equal measure? Um, I don't have an exact number than the, what percentage they go to uh, industry or what percentage they go to universities or uh, what they stay in China or they go abroad. But uh, I think it's uh, more or less balanced, and uh, especially before uh, COVID-19, uh, the young graduate, uh, most of them, they, they go abroad for further uh, study. For example, master students, uh, and of course, uh, the States is one of the uh, the favorite, uh, the most favorite uh, 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 countries uh, for for Chinese students to. To go for a PhD study, uh, but of course the other thing is for um, uh, large companies like they do have uh, uh, Chinese branches or Chinese companies, and uh, a lot of uh, students um, they also go to uh, industry directly after their master studies or or, or PhD studies. Uh, it really depends on the personal uh, preference. Um, but the other thing is also uh, depends on the salaries. <laughs> so if if the industry they 
a lot of industry, especially for example in 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 uh, Hangzhou, where uh, Zhenyang University uh, is based in, and uh, the industries they really give a uh, uh, very high salary. Uh, but for for universities, if you wanted to stay in academia, then uh, first you have to go through uh, postdocs, then uh, the salaries uh, uh, is quite low con compared to to uh, industry. So this is also one of factors uh, uh, drive the students to go to uh, industry. So I would say this is a half half maybe something like that. Yeah. Interesting questions from all around. I must say. Um, but with that, we are close to our time limit. So I will uh, ask uh, Yong Hong any final uh, comments? I think it, closing. It, it's, it's all good. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Samantha, anything uh, you don't think that we've, we've covered in, on today's uh, discussion? No, I think we covered a lot. I really appreciate you having me. And, you know, even I learned some things, you know, following the advice of everyone. So this was even helpful for me. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I certainly uh, wish I heard this a couple of years ago, but that's okay. Lalit, anything uh, from your end? Well, we covered everything there was. I mean, so thanks a lot for having me here. I as well learned from all of you in this discussion. The only punchline I would probably add to end the show is to say that to all power engineers, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Um, so with that, I would like to thank all of our three panelists from joining us all over the world. Uh, we are recording over four or five different time zones right now. Um, and I'd like to also thank you all for sharing your stories and your perspectives. Uh, so thank you, Fei Chong Gangxie and Vila Dunk. Thank you. Uh, for our listeners, it is our aim to bring you more such panel discussions and podcasts that are inspirational, informative, and useful. These podcasts will be made available to you via our IEEE Pels website, as well as on Apple Podcast and Stitcher Podcast app, available on cell phones. Please stay tuned for more. And uh, another point that I would like to highlight is as uh, uh, Power Electronics and also specifically on the young professionals group, we are looking for motivated young professionals to to work and volunteer in our activities and committees. So these are excellent learning experiences for everyone. So please reach out to any of the, the PELS members uh, for, for more details. And thank you all once again. It was a great talk. <laughs>